Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers, flips it to the end zone, caught, touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact. Milton taking a shot downfield, he's got a man open, and it's into the arms of Squirrel White. Nix, pump fake, takes off, out of the clear, Bo Nix, there he goes, he won't be caught, he's done it again! What's going on, everybody? It's uh, Chris K from Burning the Red Shirt, Red Shirt Podcast. Un- you know, not surprisingly rusty, as it's been a couple weeks since I've been on, at least. But uh, here with Andrew, of course, Zach is in the streets of Oxford. He said he's not going to be back for uh, this episode. So kicking it just the two of us. Spring games have been going on. We have another best ball starting on Monday the 3rd. So this is like a pretty pretty decent season of, of off season right now, right? Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, The grind never stops, as they say, right? And I admittedly haven't been doing my best work when it comes to CFF and CFB specifically. Like I've been focusing so much of my time on NFL drafts of trying to follow the same trajectory and pattern that I have the last couple seasons where I'll look to make some money in there and then carry that over and help me kind of beef up the amount that I'm able to play uh, when we get to the CFP season. So supplement my gambling with my gambling, if you will. Of course. You always have to gamble on your gambling. Um, I would say this was a pretty big last week for you, Andrew. I saw three or four different super positive remarks on players that you have been talking about for months. Things have been going well. Yeah, I've only done three drafts so far. Uh, but I've been able to, to this very early part, avoid anything really negative happening to any guys that I've been in on. And then also like just he- seeing some glowing reports, a blessing and a curse of sorts, right? Glowing reports about the, the players that you've uh, started to accrue some, some, uh, some, some uh, share. I fucking hate using the word shares. I feel like, I don't. I don't want to be one of those people, but the way I structured that sentence uh, <laughs> left me no choice uh, that one time. But I'll try to be better. Um, but uh, yeah, that, it's a blessing and a curse in a sense, right? You, you love to see that uh, the players that you're in on, that you're uh, that you're drafting, are that they're not falling off a cliff, that they're not transferring out of the program, that they're not running with twos and threes. But at the same time, it's like, well. Now I probably can't get Jalen Conyers in the seventh round of a two, a two tight end premium league uh, anymore. Um, but yeah, overall, I like my goal with these initial best balls was largely to go going cold um, and block out as much noise as possible. Set, set my own standard for where I want to get guys and kind of get them as I hopefully I'm able to do. And that's got, it's gone pretty well. Like, the, I was looking back. I've looked back at some of the drafts we did last year, and my earlier drafts, I felt they felt really boring when I was take when I was playing them out. And then, as the season progressed, I just started to do kind of riskier and riskier things, and just uh, lean into kind of uh, conspiracy theories that I personally believed in, and things kind of went south from there. But like. The when I went into some of the earlier draft, like the first draft we did last year, I got like it was, I think it was the first CFF site draft in like January or February. And I got like Drake Bay in like the 29th round, I got Carson Steele in like the 14th round. 
Um, and then I never, never drafted those players again in any of the 30 other drafts we did. Uh, so thinking about that and as like, we can, we start to get more buzz and more news and conflicting, uh, information and stuff like that. And the markets move and stuff like that, that invariably it feels like has an impact on how I draft for worse, more than better. Um, so I don't know. I want to try and do some stuff d- differently this year. Uh, just given that my results uh, sucked last year in, in best balls, more or less, and in season long. Uh, but overall, we're off to a pretty good start, I guess. It's funny you bring that up. I was uh, I looked at stuff because we got so much time these days. I, I looked back at some early drafts last year too, and I did the same thing. Like I had Jaden on my first couple of teams. I had like Jaden Daniels on Bonick and Bonick's on like every one of them. Like, could you yeah. imagine if I would have just kept doing that the whole way? Right. It would have been such a blessing there, but. That goes into my preseason thought that I had mentioned maybe in January I tweeted out like I am basically trying to avoid everybody else's ADP and just like base draft based on what I care about and like who I think is actually good because um, you you fall into this trap of like, well, you know, I think for me and Jaden Daniels, it was like I started buying into the fact that it was a competition and I really, you know, I think he kind of lucked out a little bit, but also at the same time he won the job and nobody else was taking him and I felt like an idiot taking him in like the 27th round. And so I never got him again. Right. So, so I stopped taking him, but yeah, uh, I thought I'm going to try not to do that like you. Right. So I will say that we don't need to talk about Conyers. We talked about Jalen Conyers. I mean, maybe a month or two ago when we first did the the first best ball series, but Nate Nate Marquise brought up a name this morning that you saw the tweet, or maybe it was late last night. Cooper Lega who we are the lone people on that train. (laughs) Nate's been been in on him forever as well. Maybe not publicly, but him and I exchanged a lot of uh, DMS about him while we were, while we were uh, workshopping our conspiracy theories about Logan Bonner's health last year. Right. So I'll, I'll give Nate uh, as much credit as we get for that one. Yeah. That's a fun one. I, I think he made up a really good point. Um, the head coach is now going to be running, calling plays and uh, coaching the quarterbacks. And the last time it happened was what I think his name was Justice Hansen or something like that from um, Arkansas State, maybe like seven, yeah. eight years ago. That had a big year. I think we always have liked the potential of Lagarde just because of what we've seen. But man, the guy is just like always hurt, which is like the very hard well, part to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, so there's there's lots of I mean, I, I'm always down to talk about Cooper Lagarde. He's my, my boy. Uh, I think there's interesting thing ways to think about it, though, and things worth considering. So, I don't love the way that they utilized him last year. I feel like they, and it, it's interesting that Nate brought up how much of an athlete he was in high school, which I think probably leans in or gives that gives us some background on why they run him so much in that offense like and that offense is not like when we think about Blake Anderson offense we don't think about running quarterback we think about chucking it all over the yard and I I personally I, like from what what I've seen like I can throw the ball around I think that he's like he's a, he's a good quarterback with from in, just in terms of arm talent and stuff like that so I, I personally would love to see them 
call plays for him that are more akin to what they've called for Logan Bonner, Lane Hatcher, Justice Hansen, even though he like it's probably tempting to run him because he's an awesome athlete. We saw how that that turned out though. They ended they ended his uh, year in the bowl game last year. Like that, it seems like he's not he's practicing right now. So in the bowl game against Memphis, first of all, what a horrific game for Utah State. Like they just didn't show up, and Lagar got murdered on the field and didn't didn't like I think early in the second half he was knocked out of the game. But it looked really bad. Like it looked like okay, this guy's knee is shredded. But it, it doesn't seem like that's playing out in practice. We're not talking about like okay um, surgery where he's going to be tentative for or eased into the start of the season. We're not talking about a Cam Rising situation or a uh, Logan Bonner situation, if you will. Uh, but he is, it seems like he's thrown the ball around in spring practice, but he's limited. Um, who knows what he's got going on? Hopefully it's not, it, like I, the sense I'm getting is what, that it's not uh, like an ACL type deal. Um, but that, so, okay. Maybe don't run your quarterback so much. And then just go, going back to earlier in the season, like he got hurt running the ball earlier in the year and missed a couple of games as well. Uh, and the way, how'd that work out for Utah State, right? They brought in Levi Williams. He immediately got hurt. And then they were down to that dude, Bishop Davenport. Um, I mean, cool, good for that dude for being able to get into a game and then start the following week. But it wasn't pretty and it's not going to be pretty. Do you follow um, my boy uh, Patrick Mayhorn's account, The Ship? That uh, does not, that. No. So, so that dude, we've mentioned him on. I've mentioned him on our pod before. Uh, he used to cover Ohio State, live in that that area of the country, and then moved out to Logan uh, and decided to just start a, a uh, his own brand that covers Utah State football called the Agship uh, subscription service. But he tweets out so much good stuff. Um, he I he has said that he could envision Davenport actually being a comp in a competition with uh, Laga for the starting job this year. I can't imagine like he said, he's so close to the program. Like he, like he's the guy who like shows up at practice and like just is on campus all day. So who am I to question him in some regard, but it's t- really difficult to imagine that scenario actually playing out just based on how Bishop Davenport's looked, how, how young he is, how Laga has looked. Um, skill sets, all that stuff. It's still interesting, though. Um, but overall, like I'm, I'm in. I'm draft. I think I've gotten him on all three of my teams this year. And like I, I mentioned on Twitter, like in response to Nate, like it's at the point where he goes so late that I question, like, is is there something wrong with me? And yep. I start to feel self conscious about it. But if we just like the he would return so much value. I think if they just called plays that are more representative of what we expect from a Blake Anderson offense, and maybe, maybe they just don't have faith in Lagaz's arm, but I don't think the solution is just running him to the point where he gets hurt. And uh, cause eventually it's going to be so bad where he's out for, out for the season. Uh, like that just feels invariable based on their utilization of him. How, how he runs his running style like that he is not avoiding contact like he's and it it's already reached that point a couple of times where he's been knocked out of game multiple missed multiple weeks so it feels like and uh when not if scenario if they continue to run him to that extent 
Yeah, they're I love a running quarterback, right? Like we all do for CFF purposes. But like what they have done is they just have totally abused the situation. And he, looked, I mean, <laughs> Boise, you know, last year in the Boise game, they based Boise kind of sat guys because they had it wrapped up, but like at least a portion of the game. But they, uh, I mean, he looked great in that game throwing the football. It's almost like I think they started that game where they used him as a battering ram, and then they fell behind a little bit, and they started passing more. And he had a huge second half, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So it would be nice to see them run a real office, especially since the background of Anderson. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, one quarterback that I have been taking a bunch of is Robbie Ashford, who in some ways feels very similar to uh, Cooper Lagarde with questionable passing skills, at least by some. Um, a better runner, less of a, a battering ram, but... I have said internally with the C2C guys that I think I'm going to just pivot all my Ashford, my future Ashford shares to Laga. Because the Hugh Freeze, I think Hugh Freeze hates all of his quarterbacks. From all we're, the stuff so now we're going to, now we're going to have to battle for Laga. You're giving me, a, you're giving me a, <clears> we are, shot. yeah, this is making a very public statement here that you will not so, be getting him in every round. Or I did yet. the boomer thing where I printed something out actually. Uh, I printed out our last Champions League draft and kind of highlighted um, players that I'm interested in every round and then tried to build my ideal 1-30 to 30, uh, draft for, for Monday. Normally, I never like to print anything and like just rely on my, my insane recall, my insane brain and memory, generally speaking, and then also lean into like uh, spread, spreadsheets, Google Sheets, Google Notes, all that stuff problem that i was facing though is so i hate getting on my my computer on like weekends or offline or after hours simply because like the only computer i have is my work computer and i don't like i know if i turn it on i'm gonna like check slack or check email and then just start your work anxiety yeah. so i i wanted a way to like do what i needed to do without that so i was like oh why don't i just print out the draft and like um so um but yeah, I think I have Laga chalked. I have Laga chalked up for a round where I'm targeting him this time. But good to know that I might have to move that up a round or two to get him, uh, based on this conversation. Do you? Do you have a, a, a what's the style? Are you looking at tar, like flex early, tight end early? Are you? I don't want to have you name names, but is there a certain strategy that you feel comfortable with? I haven't taken a QB before. I think round 13 or something like that in any of our drafts and it probably won't end up working out but i'm like i like all these late qbs they're all my boys so why would i stop taking the guys that i really like um and yeah and then just kind of grab receivers and running backs and i don't i don't know i like even when i was playing out this exercise of like highlighting guys I like. I I didn't find too many tight ends near the end of the draft that I, that I was down with. So while I think that you can be successful in this like super premium tight end format, taking later round tight ends like some I had some I had some hits last year with that. It's I'm not seeing it so far. Um, in like I think that just the, the CFB landscape as it presently is and what we know at this point in the off season doesn't necessarily allow for like waiting on tight end uh, too much and feeling unless you're going to draft, like you would have to draft like at least five or six in this format. I, I think if you're going to do that. So I, I don't know. I, I can't, I keep paying up for tight end um, relatively speaking, 
not taking Brent Keithy seventh overall, but like trying to grab two, three, four in the first 10 rounds. And then um, depending on if I get to four, uh, if not, then I'll grab one or two more and just try and end up with like four that I like. Is Bowers the only guy you would draft in the first like two rounds? Because I think right now, right, yeah, we're yeah, seeing but, Keithy yeah. and, and Jatane. Yeah, and but it, it's, it's biased. It's just because he's an ugly man. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. The outside of him, so the other side, maybe, maybe I'll let you talk at some point, but probably not. Uh, but outside of him, right, it's Keithy in round one in that draft format. And then you were going to say Jatavian Sanders goes super early. I forget who else, if there's anyone else in the first couple of rounds. Um, Yurisek, maybe. But I don't know. I feel like the guys that go in rounds two and three aren't that different than the ones that go like rounds four through seven. So I'm okay waiting, uh, like like waiting on that second uh, tier or really third tier, if you will, because Bowers is in a tier am- uh, among himself. Uh, if yeah, what are you where? What are you picking in this draft? What's your what's all the other? I pick time? fifth. I pick fifth. Yeah. I'm, I'm eighth. I've I've had one nine and now eight, and though I've looked at the like Greg's share that spreadsheet that shows us where we're all gonna be. Like my I, mine's so weird. Uh, it's like all late now until until I, I it goes like eight, twelve, ten, eleven, ten, and then like I I stack all my early ones except for first overall in the later drafts, which I think is what I would like uh, because I, I assume things will play out similarly relative to last year or similarly to last year um, in the sense that. The first round or so will get more structured as the offseason progresses. And like by the time we get to the like June, July, August, there's going to be very little variance in who's going in the first round. Um, So I think that having early picks later on is probably more valuable than having early picks now. Yeah, I've been picking more in the middle and I have I didn't look at this sheet. I I couldn't tell you where my next couple ones are. Yeah. Speaking to the tight end position, to me, it really does feel like if you can get Bowers, you get Bowers. Yeah. Because I think he's just such a clear cut, like solidified option every single week. Even on bad weeks, he still gets a decent amount of points in this format. But then to me, like, I think Keithy, you can make a, an argument for being like an end of first rounder type. But then to me, it's more just a matter like, all these guys feel the same to me, like Jatavian Sanders. And then there's the Deitches, there's RJ Maryland. You know, if you like, uh, Luke Lachey or Lachey, however you pronounce it. Like yeah. all those guys seem to feel like they're in the same spot, but it's maybe you just draft them earlier if you really want one over the other. Right. So you maybe reach because I think once you hit like the fourth round, all those guys start to go. Um, so there's another tight end that you were on. And I think there was some, was it Corey Cavender that was all up on David Robinson, Martin? No, it's um, our our Clint. reigning champion, Clint. Clint yeah. yeah, that's got to be a great feeling to talk about or like David Robinson Martin, and then Clint talks about him positively. That means you're onto something, correct? Yes, yes, and no. I don't want to disparage anyone, and I'm so bad at thinking about statistics in terms of what qualifies as as a sample size and whatnot. Like, I would love to take to become a true master of statistics at some point and be able to pontificate about how that stuff actually works like so but like when we think about like okay clint just crushed us all this past season does that mean he was just good in the sample size of one because i I think in some ways it almost is that that that's the case right that he had this set of beliefs over one season and it played out really well for him 
Um, not to say he didn't put in the time or the work and he's not, or that he's not the man he is, but I think that we all do, um, right outside of, um, I don't know. I was going to, I was going to try and rip on someone, but I couldn't, the name didn't come into, come into <laughs> um, but I, I think uh, yeah, we all put in the time, we all put in the work. So, um, get I think you're out. right though. The yeah. sample size is small in a sense because he picked very similarly the whole way yeah. through. So yeah. he, I mean, he obviously knows what he's doing, um, yeah. generally speaking, but like he just had nailed it. Not to say he's not going to do well this year, but like it he is, he, it is kind crushed. of like a sample size of one. Yeah, for sure. He crushed his in like the way he interpreted information last year. Like I, I think one of the things that sticks, was, um, Eric Gray's trajectory throughout last off season, like he was going pretty high to start, and then all of a sudden. Like right before the summer, he dropped to go in like rounds 25 through 30 to being undrafted. And then all of a sudden, Clint just starts taking him in like round 10, round 12, round nine. I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? What, like, what did, what did he, what is he seeing that I'm missing? Um, I remember it just because like it was so out of nowhere and he just kept doing it every single draft and it worked out amazingly. Um, great, like Gray was not in a committee, right? I mean, committee, generally speaking, like, he was the head of the committee at minimum. And like, he was really, it felt like a workhorse for most of the, most of the season. So, I mean, he crushed just the way that he kind of mined uh, for news and then interpreted uh, that news, uh, bring it back to temple. So dude, have you done, have you uh, tried to do any temple research uh, so far this year? I have not. And just a quick note, it's David Martin Robinson. I mixed up the hyphenation, but no, I have not. Uh, you know, I, I have Quincy Patterson there, but he just has never done anything. So I'm yeah, to... I spent I spent about thirty minutes yesterday trying to uh, figure out some temple stuff, and it, it was an experience. So the first thing I, I did was I tried to go to uh, the temple, one of the temple like Twitter accounts um, that I followed, that like Temple News Desk or something. They haven't tweeted since November, so that was really exciting. Uh, for me and then uh, i checked out another um then i i went the google news route um and it turns out there's like spring practice reports on temple temples uh football's like actual website that i mean what's your opinion on reading news that is printed on the school's actual website do you do you have a strong opinion on that I mean, I just, I don't find it valuable. Right. They're always just going to be fluff, right? It's not going to give yeah. me any, anything insightful, especially in this day and age where like your best bet is always going to be a beat reporter, right? Like it's yeah. not going to be this uh, intern from Temple that is writing for the school site. Like props to him for getting experience and doing all that or them for doing all that. But like, they're not giving me anything breaking. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um. It was still, I mean, the, the main thing that, it was helpful from it. it was I actually was able to see that all the, like these players are actually participating um, and like not randomly like sitting out. Right. And okay. Um, DMR had, had, has some long touchdowns in the spring and that I, I totally forgot that that dude, Ahmad Anderson is at temple and like, apparently was like one of their leading receivers last year. Um, but it seems like he's doing some stuff, stuff this spring. Um, but yeah, that's generally, I I'm of the same opinion that for the most part, you're not getting anything useful. If you're reading off of the team's website, the thing that I've been meaning to do that, or what I was trying to do was I wanted to get some information that actually helped me understand, like, what is their system? Like, why were they throwing it 70 times a game last year? Like, 
And should we expect it? Like, was that, do they have, does their play caller have any sort of history of like running an awesome system? Like I, but I don't know. I kind of gave up once I, after I read the school's website uh, for a little bit, but that feels like, Something that if I'm gonna, if I'm going to be burning a ninth round pick on uh, the tight end, I want to get a better feel for what the offensive system actually projects to look like this year. Uh, but you could like, could you think of a bigger about face from the beginning to the end of the 2022 season than what Temple started looking like at the beginning of the year versus what they were doing at the end of the year? I mean, it was, it's a huge difference. EJ Warner looked like actually really pretty good. Yeah. Uh, which was like kind of cool to see. I mean, he was a true freshman, right? Like, I think so. So I, th- that does have some promise. And that makes me feel better more about uh, Martin Robinson. You know, the problem with some of these spring stuff is like some of these guys are just huge. Like Jalen Conyers is every bit of a man as you'll ever meet, right? This dude's huge. Same with Robinson. So it's like, if he gets paired up against a freshman, that guy's toast, right? Like he's just going to score yeah. automatically. So they have was, another tight end too that Josh, Josh drafted in one of the, at some point. I, like when I was doing the Boomer thing uh, and looking at the the printout, uh, I saw Josh drafted some tight end on Temple. I was like, who the f is this guy? Is this like is this a James Madison uh, placeholder that Josh is so uh, <laughs> won't, won't he do? But no, this guy like the guy had a, a mini. DMR type of end to the season. Like apparently I, I guess when you throw the ball 70 times a game over like a, a month long stretch, like they did down the stretch of uh, 2022, you're get everyone on the team is going to eat. Right. Uh, so their tight end two had was getting like 10 targets, 10 targets a game over the final three or four games and put up a pretty good, uh, like, yeah, a pretty good uh, chunk, of, chunk of fantasy points as well. Um I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with them. Like the, 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 but it feels like the thing that we need to figure out is just at the macro, what is their identity going to be? What are they going to try to do as an offense? And then things can kind of cascade and waterfall from there. Um, and it probably like, if you, it, maybe we'll just, maybe we, maybe we bring uh, Nick Ian Allen on under the guise of uh, like wanting to, have like a, an important discussion with him and just get him to feed to spoon feed us what he knows about the temple temple uh, play calling history and stuff like that. Yeah. That offense is interesting. Cause if they do pass it a ton, like continue that they lost uh, two of their best receivers. So there's, seems to be a lot of opportunity that's available. I think they lost like maybe 15 or 16% or 15 or 16 targets a game, just based on the top two guys. But uh yeah i who knows who really knows what temple's doing i mean you just can never trust anything plus consistency is just not a thing for a lot of these schools one thing i found super interesting i want to hear your uh, your angle on this one is did you see jd yankees tweet about western michigan i did um he so he's one of like 10, 15 people that I have uh, notifications on for. So I see all his tweets uh, pushed to my phone, of course. And that was, that was one of them. Basically the tweet said uh, quotes from like their spring, their coaching staff or maybe an offensive lineman that basically said like, we want to go super fast. I think it was the center. We want to do 80, 90, hundred plays a game, which if you looked at, have you, you know who like led the country in plays per game last year? 
It was Texas Tech with like 80.6. So this guy is coming out of nowhere saying he wants to run, you know, he, he, they want to run 80 to 100 plays a game, which is just comical in its own right. But they're going to, they're going to pass, they're going to, I obviously they don't can this guy, the center on Western Michigan didn't care when he said this, but plays per game is going to come down when they change that rule about incompletions this year, right? Yeah. I mean, it, especially for them, knowing they're going to have a lot of incompletions. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, I mean, the rule change is what it's that the clock won't stop in an incompletion. That's what's going to, I think that's one of the rules that's changing. This They've year. proposed yeah. it. I don't know if it's actually gone into play or I think that's the kind of thing where um, just like when you like, when uh, a school offers a coach a, a coaching job, you don't offer him the job unless he's going to accept it. You don't propose the rule unless it's going to get passed uh, kind of thing. So annoyingly, like we're going to see less five-hour games, uh, right? I, I, um, so I, I expect that rule to pass. Um, they- anyway, back to Western Michigan. I that, It's so funny that they let they let J- Jack Salopec talk like he's going to have any chance at seeing the field this, uh, this year, right? Uh, but I, I mean, it's I mean, not him. Who is it going to be? Borgay. I, I guess. They they're, both both, pretty- they're both terrible, but I think that that the way yeah yeah i guess maybe it could be him right i forgot they can their coach after this year and the guy who's taught they got the whole talk right is about it comes stems from the idea that it's a new regime um right so i guess everybody gets a fresh start uh they both look awful though um it, I, I guess it's good to to see that we potentially get a, a fast-paced offensive system but what are you, you going to target who are you going to target yeah, from a draft complete the passes to like actually get first downs and make things actually happen. So yeah, uh, I think one of the, probably the most one of the most interesting offenses to kind of pay attention to because of scheme change and personnel change has to be Wisconsin, right? Like bring in a whole new staff that seems like they're not going to just run it a hundred times a game. They have some actual talented skill weapons, and I think some of the skill guys from last year's team in terms of receivers improved like DK and I think like Skylar Bell had moments and things like that. Now you bring in Tanner Mordecai, which we've discussed. Do you think their spring practice came out and their reports and there were quotes coming out about the CJ Williams transfer from USC. Is there any intrigue there to their receiving group or are you still on the board that Tanner Mordecai is just going to shit the bed when it comes to actual teams, actual opponents? Well, the problem there's a there's a, a problem here, right? That we we may be too influential, overly influential, if you will, because the out, outcome from an ADP perspective presently is that Mordecai goes super late. He went in the 18th round in our last draft, which is like that's totally fine. Um, so many of the other guys that I'm taking in that area, which is generally the area where I'm starting to try and fill up my QB room are a lot less of a short thing than him than when, we, when we're talking about just like getting a starting job. And while like the main thing that I feel like I've tried to articulate previously when, with respect to Mordecai is he's going to put up duds against the tougher Big Ten teams. He's still going to have highs in that system, uh, right? So in the 18th round, like I'm, I'm totally cool with it. Uh, with, with taking them there, especially like like in best ball where my strategy, generally speaking, from a quarterback room perspective is like, let's just get a, 
a bunch of guys that together that can any one of them uh, in a given week put up 30 or 40, and hopefully two of them do. Um, Mordecai fits that fits that belt bill. So if he's going that late, like that's totally fine. Um, so there was a there were a few uh, tweets and tweet threads that kind of in our greater like our what do you call it our realm of Twitter that uh, were interesting coming up out of this news for Wisconsin yesterday. One of them, I forget who was involved in it. Nate, Nate probably was because he's a lunatic. But one of them was basically talking about how the, like the top receiver in Phil Longo's system is just like if you identify that guy, it's it's like a guarantee, which is like the best. Like I, I have a list of um, systems and like specific positions that you need to target, um, and that I don't have. I didn't have that one in my list, and I need to add it. Um, but question becomes like well who's the guy in wisconsin that's like going to be the surefire okay sure just write it in ink thousand yards um it feels like it's still kind of up in the air just like cj williams had an amazing day he's still running with the twos right and i think the idea with that system is it's it's the slot guy that balls out right um down the last couple of years um daz newsom deami brown like when um I don't know. I feel like it's that's the position to target there, and it seems very up in the air who's going to play that role uh, right now. Uh, so you may you you draft a, a starting receiver, or you, there's like four or five guys right that could be part of the equation. I don't know, and it, it feels like while none of them really cost a lot, you could be looking at a second stringer or just a secondary piece of that starting offense. And it's not necessarily going to just, you you might not get the boom that you're looking for. Yeah. DK is definitely the slot is a definitely. Everyone pronounces his name right. And it's, I'm just not going to, it's so egregious to say it the other way that I'm just, (laughs) it could be right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that route, but he is the slot receiver. Theoretically speaking with CJ Williams, I saw a report that like he took some first string snaps away from him. But then I saw like the quarterback was this guy named Lockie and he was facing off. uh, He burned a corner deep and it was like a true freshman. Like, so, you know, it was a great catch. The video is cool, but like there's some levels to it. I think though, you're right with Longo system. It makes sense. You know, why not take a stab at somebody super late? You know, we have enough rounds to make it happen. And, you know, maybe you just go a little bit safer with receiver at the top end of the draft, and then that way you can afford to take a risk. But yeah, I, I think there's DK, there's um, Williams, there's Marcus Allen, Skyler Bell. So there's a lot of names that don't necessarily separate themselves. Bryson Green. Bryson Green, which uh, I uh, was, did you say Skyler Bell? I did say Skyler Bell. Yep. <clears throat> I was talking to a buddy, one of my um, the buddy that I do uh, projections and stuff with. And I was like, dude, you're not even going to recognize Oklahoma State's offense come this this fall. Have you seen a list? If you did, you have you ever actually like seen the list of full offensive players that have that have uh, left? Yeah, so I, I follow Oklahoma State pretty closely. I'm always interested. Like it, it's so di- I can't I can't say I'm a, a Gundy supporter because he makes it so difficult to actually have positive feelings about him on a personal and professional level. Um, but I, I admire a lot of what he's been able to do from a program pers- building perspective, from a pivoting perspective and just like trying to um, the thing, the things that he's done to, to try and be successful that have generally, generally worked. And then also like 
into just what he's done from a CFF perspective. There's been so much positive there. Uh, but so I do follow that program closely year in year out. And I think that this year is super interesting for the reasons that you're saying, right. That there's just been, there's so much turnover. Um, I, I definitely have thoughts, um, which I'm happy to go into momentarily, but do you you have thoughts on kind of where they stand presently? Well, I was just looking, they lose like 55% of their targets. And by the way, I usually don't say uh, stats, but I uh, started paying for Nick, uh, winning edges content and this why you, you do all that stuff the stuff is just insane but there's stuff that i it's just all consolidated in one place so it makes it very much worth it so i, I was just peeking it peeking at it they lose five of their top six receivers either to transfer or to the draft or just to become a car salesman um and Brennan Presley is the only guy back. And like, we actually, uh, people liked Presley in the past. So I'm sitting here thinking they lose everybody right in the receiver room. They lose their running back. Although Dominic Richardson's not really anything special. Like, is there a shot that Presley gets like that vaunted Gundy receiver one in an offense? That's decent. The problem here is the quarterback play is going to be brutal, right? Like if Alan Bowman is in consideration, then I don't know if I really want to invest in a receiver if Alan Bowman is considered a possible quarterback, right? So uh, are you playing dumb with Presley? You know the problem with him, right? Is he what? Fill me in. He's a a slot receiver, and it's always an outside receiver (laughs) that goes nuclear in that offense. Just move him. Just move him to the (laughs) six yards the other way. You know, like if that's your best receiver, you've got to mold like Gundy. Gundy's an intelligent guy. Like these Presley's not huge, but he's not tiny, right? Just yeah. Move him six. Yeah, he, I mean, he and... he definitely like he had some blow up games last year, too. So it's not to say that he can't have a useful season this year. Um, but you're probably not getting the nuclear output from him of the Gundy that you look for when you're trying to sift through information to determine who's gonna be the Gundy WR1. Uh, the the QB room is like holy shit. Like what a yeah. It was so funny how Scott put it. Scott Bell put it when he came on our on our show, and I tried to I tried to get him to. I was like, please say something positive about Alan Bowman so that I can like maybe craft a narrative for how this is going to be a good thing for Oklahoma State. Do you remember what he said? I don't, but I remember it was pretty funny. He said that if JJ McCarthy got hurt, and then. Who's the backup? Orgy. Who? Alex Orgy. I thought it was someone else. But he said if McCarthy got hurt and the backup got hurt, then Bowman was still two more guys away from seeing (laughs) the field. I was like, wow, okay. Um, But I don't know. It's so weird, right, with Bowman. Like he, We've seen him look uh, cool and uh, fun and – competent as a passer in a system that's not so dissimilar to Gundy's when he was at Texas Tech. Um, so, I mean, that was ages ago, but especially in comparison to Gundy's son. And I mean, I'm not ready to give up on Garrett Rangel. Like the dude was a true freshman, I think last year. Right. And was a pretty good recruit, but he just did like, I didn't see anything from him that really looked uh, special, but circumstances weren't amazing for him uh 
last year. Like I think I'm trying to remember the games he started. The last game of the year uh, before the bowl game against West Virginia was like in pouring rain. And there were yeah. so many guys uh, kind of uh, just hurt and missing. It felt like on in that game, generally speaking. And then the Wisconsin uh, game as well. Like you're going up against a, a super good D in a ball, in a, in a ball game, opt outs, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. I didn't see, I feel like I didn't really see anything that screamed upside from that dude. Um, so the, the QB room leaves stuff to be desired. And then, okay. When we think about the wide receiver room, so Stripling transferred in from uh Dijon Stripling stri- transferred in from Washington state. He is the, the receiver that's generally being drafted right now. It feels presumptive uh, to me. Like, I don't understand, like, what is the pipeline between Washington State and Oklahoma State that we've seen Tay Martin come over from Washington State to Oklahoma State, and now we see Shriblin come over. Like, it's always weird when you see these these this, these pipelines from one school to another, and it's not an obvious connection, like, what it is. Maybe there's, like, some a coach that or something like that, but it's interesting. Um I don't know. It, it feels presumptive to assume that he's going to be the WR WR one. Like go like still got uh the mythical Jaden Bray, um, who's already getting uh positive camp reports. I feel like a a large swath of our CFF uh friends are probably too traumatized to go back to that well. Um, right, but it's not impossible, right, that he that he uh he ascends. And then you've got uh, Taylor Shetron also, who was like the unbelievable super recruit from uh, the, this, this past cycle, did pretty much nothing this past year. Um, could have been anything, right? Uh, I, I, he was definitely hurt at some part of the year. Tough to get on the field um, in what was a, like I thought it was a pretty good uh, rec- receiver room when healthy this past year. Um, but as a true freshman, even as a super recruit, it could be tough to get on the field. But so, I think that there's potential in that receiver room. I'm avoiding it for now simply because I think that as we saw play out this past year, you it's if you don't choose the WR1, you're not the, the guy who ends up being WR1. You're probably not getting much in the way of ceiling and you also don't have any floor. Uh, so I'll wait and hope that I can kind of uh, sift through and land on some information that gives me uh, a better feel for how that is going to play out. And right now it just feels too uncertain. Yeah. There's enough cons, I think to go with the, at least like with Wisconsin, you have a quarterback that's, you know, going to provide some, some passing statistics, you know, there might be some doubt on which one is the guy, but at the very least you're going to get some sort of production. If you miss on the guy, one receiving room, that's super uh, interesting. It kind of connects with Oklahoma state's TCU. They got, JRP or is it JRP or JPR? John Paul Richardson, JPR, uh, transferred over there. Then you had Jake Beck, the fake tight end, moved over there, and Jalen Robinson went over there, which was like such a cool player years ago. And just yeah, we thought him going to Ole Miss. You know, going to Ole Miss, you just figured this feels like a really cool situation, and it literally nothing worked out in that in that uh that season. But do you have a do you have a vibe on any of these guys? You, I think for, people- you forgot you forgot a guy. A transfer into TCU at receiver? Yeah, the guy that we still that is responsible for us still being owed uh, a bet being paid off. Oh, you're you're right. I completely forgot about that. Jojo, he's, he's Earl. getting lots of buzz there too. Um, Jojo Earl, he's getting a lot of buzz in in camp. Uh, I, I, 
I have not been following their camp reports on a primary level too closely um, outside of uh, being, I've, I've followed enough to already be uh, all the way back in on Chandler Morris. I'm three for three so far on drafts. No, no There's no stopping this train, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. And yeah, Ve- Vegas fortunately hasn't put up any Heisman odds for him. So I can't light money on fire directly out there quite yet. But um, I last, last draft we did, I took Sabian Williams. Uh, I didn't love it. If you, like the more we talk about it, right? Like, so the general sentiment, I think for this room, which I think is the right way of thinking about it, just based on short-term historical trends for, for dice is we're basically like the idea is basically we'll get whoever the X receiver is maybe doesn't have an amazing, incredible ceiling, but useful at minimum in fantasy. And then after that, it's just kind of like, it's like a bunch of guys that will put up random games. Um, so identifying who that X receiver, I, I think it's X. Um, I might have the letter wrong, but that like the big tall dude is going to, uh, probably lead the receiving room. Identifying who that is probably is like your best path to figuring out and getting some value out of that receiving room. And then from there, it'll cobble together in like the form of like four or five other receivers and two tight ends and the, hopefully the, the quarterback, uh, smashes as well. Yeah, this it really does feel like we're about to get like a complete replication of last year's offense. You just who is going to be that guy? I would say I feel good about it not being Earl, not being uh, Beck, and not being Robinson. That just they don't feel like the right. Maybe we um, we talk about it through the lens of Dykes, right? But um, and we're talking about short term translating to present. But now we have the variable of. Kendall Bryles as the offensive coordinator as well. So I actually went to, I say I have been following things closely. And then now I'm about to say, I spent eight minutes yesterday watching a Chandler Morris interview um, from uh, about a week ago where he was talking about how much he, like the, the Kendall Bryles offense is like a dream fit for him. Uh, they're going to go so much faster, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's just like standard puff piece garbage, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. Cut. It's poten- like it's potentially interesting. Like, okay, do we look? Does it make sense to project and just think about translating the short-term history of Dykes into the present? Present, or do we think about it more what kind of Kendall Bryles has done uh, with his offenses? Um, and there, there's somewhat of a Venn diagram overlap there, right? Like, you think about what uh, like Kendall Bryles made monsters out of. Traylon Burks and Matt Landers, right? And so the the same idea, right? Like find your X receiver and just uh, kind of that is the dude. Um, so from a wide receiver perspective, those two, like we shouldn't see much deviation, I think, in terms of what we uh, expect to happen for TCU, regardless of whether we see more of what we saw at Arkansas this past year or what we've seen from Dykes at SMU and TCU. We're probably still like trying to figure out who the big uh, tall dude is who's going to lead the receiving room. A lot of people like Jordan Hudson is like the next guy. But I think the reason why people like Savion Williams is because Froton went and asked Quentin Johnston, who's going to yeah, be yeah, like yeah. the next guy, which props to Froton for doing that. And that's just such a typical Froton move. I love it. Dude, it's fucking unbelievable. Like that. I can't believe we actually have like a uh, boots on the ground dude actually asking play- players 
for direct information that is going to translate uh, into the upcoming year from a fantasy perspective for us. Like we made it. Yeah. So if you had to pick between the two, would you rather Jordan Hudson, who was like kind of like Shetron in the fact of the right. huge recruit that went to TCU a uh, big name, didn't really see the field a whole lot, but like kind of had moments where you could see some flashes. Is there a preference between the two? I don't know where Hudson's getting picked. I know Savion's getting picked maybe like low twenties. Yeah. It just kind of I, I took him I took him way too early. I think in one of our last drafts. Not I didn't look at all where he was going and took him like the sixteenth round and then looked a little later. I was like shit, I could have waited like eight rounds. Um so that was a mistake. But um I forget what I was listening to. It might have been uh, Chasing the Natty, Jared, and Nate. Somewhere I, I heard that Hudson was in competition for the Z role, whereas um, Sabian was in co- like running with, with the ones as the X, with the X being the idea of like what you want to target in, in that offense. Um, so that kind of that moved the needle for me just from the perspective of um, – trying to differentiate for who I want to target. I want the guy that's going to be in the role that is like the primary receiver in offense historically. So um, yeah, that that's about all I have to go on at this point. And it feels like if I'm going to try and pair Chandler with a receiver, that's enough for me to pull the trigger at moderate cost. Okay. What about the, we're just talking receiving rooms. I need to update the title of this thing. Cause that's all we're doing <laughs> today. Uh, another fun Super interesting receiving room to talk about would be USC. There's, I think, four to five legitimate options at receiver. Then you have this Deuce Robinson receiver tight end that's uh, just made his commitment, which was like this huge commitment this past week. And I know I argued with C2C guys about his actual relevancy in year one, but they like him. So is he, he's not on campus this year, right? He's the next cycle. I think he's coming in the summer. Really? That's oh, what okay. I was kind of getting the vibe of because I was I was trying to get that like is this relevant to now or is this something a year yeah. away? But from the receiver room standpoint, Dorian Singer seems to be like that that number one guy. But do you think it'll do you think there will be a, like a true number one like that you really want to target or is it going to be more of what we saw last year where it seemed to be spread out, which I think was a little bit impacted by injuries doing that. Probably one, probably last year. Um, early on in the season, I was a little hopeful that Addison wouldn't be committed, right? He started off with a hundred yard game, had a two touchdown game in there or something, and things were trending up, but it's that like we, in hindsight, we were never going to get like the Jordan Addison, Mark Whipple offense type deal. Um, the, I, I don't know, like I've. I don't watch enough film to be obsessed with uh, Singer, right? Like, uh, but, and he probably is the guy who's most likely to be the the number one in that offense, quote unquote, number one. But he's not going egregiously early, right? I feel like he goes like round four in our drafts or something like that. But that still feels like, I don't know. I'd rather, well, like he's super talented. He's in a great offense. Um, I think I'd rather just take, uh, try and target someone that has more target upside and just a higher likelihood of just being the true focal point of their offense. Um, I I think we're likely to see like just spread things around seven, eight guys catching passes 
no problem uh, kind of deal um, than anything else. I don't, th- I don't think I've drafted a USC receiver um, yet. The running back room is very interesting to me, but uh, the receivers I haven't. Uh, Man, those receivers are going super late. You know, Singer yeah. is, like you said, like a fourth, but then I think I have like every share of every – now I'm saying it uh, – every – <laughs> I got rice and I have Taj and like everything. And I like Taj. I like both of them. And you can get, I mean, they're both 15th round or later. Like you could get rice in the twenties. Um, Mario he's somewhere in between, I think, you know, between 15 and 20, you know, in a best ball, I have no issue taking any of those three. I probably have, like you kind of mentioned, like I have more of a problem taking singer in the fourth, you know, you're looking at Washington Williams and, and rice. Those are three guys that could go off crazy in that offense. The only problem is, is they have the double bye week. I wish they didn't have the double. I would have so much more if they didn't have the double mm. bye week. Well, yeah. let's put it to the running backs. You, you said you like the running back room. I yeah. am super high on Marshawn Lloyd. So I'm hoping that you're in agreement. Yeah. Um, he feels very similar to some of the players last draft, early last draft season, where it was like, that this sticks out like a sore thumb is like easy fade. Um, and but one of the things that I'm trying to do this year is not just I want to I want to profit doubly from it. I, I, I don't want to just fade him, but I want to draft what who benefits if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't if he doesn't really have. So you're, so you're anti Lloyd is what you're telling me. Yeah, I'm anti Lloyd and I've I'm trying to get Austin Jones and then. Relic Brown is fun too, so I'll I'll take him uh, late uh, potentially. I'll, he's a he's a JD Yankee guy, um, and I stole him from him. Uh, I think in our last uh, champion series, maybe. Um, I I don't. Jones is the guy that I'm more targeting uh, though, but I think that I wonder how long and how far into the progression of now till summer to the start of kickoff, like what the trajectory of those two guys, Lloyd and Jones looks like. Um, I Clint fucking took Jones uh, before I could get him in the second uh, champion series that we did. I got him in the first one. I would, I think, I don't know. I, I think the per like, this is potentially a perfect parallel between going back to Oklahoma. When we saw Eric Gray come in, Kenny Brooks, is expected to be the, the RB2. Gray's going early. And Brooks just takes the job because he's good at football and just takes his lunch money. Uh, right. And I think this, this the parallels between Jones and Brooks are there too. Like two kind of bigger back, backs, boring, but just like kind of like good at football. We I think we could throw out that, that second year at uh, Stanford where they were just a total mess and Jones was a huge flop. Like when Jones got opportunity this past year he was awesome uh as a as the primary back super useful uh from a fantasy perspective so i i am i'm in um and i don't i don't know why he wouldn't be the the rb1 in that offense see i like i i really like lloyd i think he's to me austin jones is your just good college you like lloyd i like lloyd yeah have you been drafting him yeah, I have a lot of Lloyd. I, mean, I think is, he's great, man. I, I prefer someone else pay for, uh, for pay for this than you. No way. Um, this feels like this to me feels like Travis Die all over again. 
people thought Austin Jones would beat out Travis Dye that like, you know, well, there's Darwin Barlow and they got a true freshman coming in and Relic Brown. And then Travis Dye was just incredible the entire season until he got hurt. Like to me, I mean, obviously they're not the same player, Lloyd and Dye. They're, you know, Lloyd is, I think I just looked, he's like 5'9, 215. Like that guy is ruining people's lives uh, and breaking bones. But like to me, it's a, I will say this, it's a really good sign for Jones and Lloyd that Relique Brown is getting a ton of snaps like all over the field. Like he's obviously super talented, but they did this last year in some of these later games is they would throw him in these passing situations and he would make plays through the air. And they came out and basically said like, it's, we're going to utilize his talents there. He's not going to be a receiver, but we're going to use him in the passing game. So I think that's a great sign for Jones and, and Lloyd. I just am, I am way more on Lloyd than I, I just don't think Jones is any good. Like sure. His numbers looked good, but like that's USC's offense. Like, I, don't think, I, think, five yards I think it's a mistake there. to draw parallels between Lloyd's situation and Dye's situations. The, the, the position that I slash we wrongfully took last year with Dye was that it was most likely to be a committee. Um, and the reasoning behind it ultimately was like super flawed. The, like the, the reality was just that Dye's super good at football. He's the man. Like, and it was so obvious. Like you watch him at Oregon, like the dude just is so explosive, uh, knows like, like knows how to play running back. And like, that, of course that's going to translate into an, an amazing offense at, at USC. Right. Um, so just the, that was a big mistake. Uh, with Lloyd, like Lloyd, cool, man, you, you, beat the shit out of Charlotte and then crushed an FCS school. Look at what did you do against everyone else? The re- entire remainder of your career at USC, uh, not, not USC, excuse me at South Carolina. Yeah. Um, he had a good game against A&M. Did he? Yeah. It wasn't insane, but like that offense at South Carolina was brutal. I mean, until the very end when they got kind of creative with stuff, yeah. that was a really awful offense. It was bad. I- I, I, I don't, I, I'm not willing to draw parallels in terms of talent, historical production, and just how I expect them to translate to USC between Lloyd and Dye. Um, yeah, I mean, Dye is clearly the better going into yeah. the last year and this year, the, those respective. You don't, you don't like Dye the Austin Jones, the, you don't like the Austin Jones, the Kennedy Brooks corollary? <laughs> uh, I do. I think you did a good job of that one. And Thank then, you. you know, I do like the fact that you're doubling down on it. Cause I think it makes a ton of sense. And yeah. also I have a personal rule of like, just get USC players. You know, it's like great, I great said call. to myself, yeah. follow my own, you know, my own thoughts as best I can and don't sway. We talked about that. And my mm-hmm. other point was like, just take USC players when in doubt, you know, like, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll try to hedge a little bit and take some Austin Jones from you too. <laughs> Laga and Austin Jones. You yeah. Reach out I, for. If you want, I could just share with you my whole uh, plan for these 30 rounds this, this upcoming uh, tomorrow, tomorrow we kick off tomorrow. Morning. Um, so yeah, I could send you the Google notes uh, screenshot if you want. I might need that considering last year's performance <laughs> by myself. I mean, so. I did horrible as well. What uh, any final, any topics you want to bring up? I kind of, guided the entire show any thoughts or things that you wanted to discuss so the 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 primary problem that i i have when it comes to just ideas for for our for our show um and you should always be cognizant of this whenever i suggest something is 
I, like I run obsessively all the time and I didn't understand it when I just, when I started out running uh, shortly after college and like got into it. Cause I was only running like a mile at a clip then and thought that I was like, that was running and that's not running. Uh, but now like my standard run is 3.1 miles. So 5k, which I did today. And then um, my long run is about um, a little over eight miles, uh, which I did yesterday. Uh, but a lot of what, so I didn't understand that, what a runner's high was at when I first started out running. You hear it all the time, right? And I was like, that's bullshit. No, it's it's to, it's real as fuck. Um, but it's not like smoking weed, um, which like, I don't know. I've never, has never been for me, like as a total control freak. Like I hate the the fact, fact that like if I, like how that makes me feel is just like I'm, I, I can't get off my couch. I can't move. I can't control my thoughts. I can't control my body. Like I can't do anything. Like I, that's, this isn't fun. This isn't, this isn't for me, but runner's high is like for the way it manifests for me is my brain starts working overdrive and I come up with what I think are all these good ideas, kind of similar to how I know this is a thing for other people as well. Like right before bed, you th- come up with all these ideas that you think are amazing. I have the same kind of, I do that as well. And they're, they're usually terrible. Um, but I have, for our show, I come up with a lot of what I think are good ideas when I'm running. And then I'll, I'll just word vomit them over to you guys. And you should know these aren't well thought out ideas. These are just a product of me running and thinking that I'm like in the zone and like my brain is firing on all cylinders when in reality, it's just a product of just of running. But one of those ideas I had um, was what do you think about doing like conference uh, preview shows where we bring on a guest for um, it, that they don't need to be an expert. Like we, and we can make it as for profit for ourselves as we want. Like maybe we can, we try and get uh, Nick on for a show and to just to like extract knowledge for him on temp from him on temple and the other teams in that conference as well. But the, I will do uh, as we get into summer, like con- a show for each kind of conference, bring on a guest and just have some fun. Fuck around. I like that. Cause we've, we've already dived into the, uh, the guest portion of this, right, uh, right. We, burning we, red shirt. So I like the idea. I think sometimes it's a, uh, we can get a little repetitive. Anybody can get a little bit repetitive uh, with topics. So I like this idea and getting another person's perspective is always fun. We usually are, are rocking two people anyway. So bringing on a third doesn't make it too, uh, too busy. Yeah. But totally. so Nick's an idea who, who, if you were to give a formal proposal right now to people, do you want to, you want to tell someone, so the, the, one of the problems with it, it's tough to figure out who maps best to each conference, um, right? So for selfish reasons, I think getting Nick on to like extract information on Temple would be nice, especially from like a short term perspective. But I don't know when I think about the best mapping for Nick is probably the Mac, um, just because he's going to do all that digging into all those schools that are impossible to find information on. So we could actually pick his brain and like get the most val- bang for our buck from him if we bring him on for the Mac. Like last year, when he uh, do you li- do you listen to his like three hour uh, previews and stuff? I don't typically know. Uh, he his his uh, his show is crucial for my off season. Like he's an off season show for me more than an in season show. And as they start to do their previews. I think more like, especially in the summer, like I, I, I lock in last year. He, dude, he was like the, the first and only person that was on Sam Wiggles in the off season. He's like this guy from Ohio state 
who the Ohio State coaches love is transferring over to Ohio. Maybe it works. And I, so I took I actually drafted him in, in some places. And uh, obviously that worked out amazingly. Um, but yeah, I think bringing him on for the Mac is the move. Yankee is obviously like if, if we can get him right. I don't know if we're big time enough, uh, but if we can get him, the, the only question there is if it's Mountain West or Pac-12. Um, I feel like the answer is Mountain West while he'd be able to talk like ably and awesomely on both. You want to extract as much meaningful information. Like you could probably get from other people what he could contribute from the Pac-12 just because there's more information out there. But I feel like no one's getting giving you uh, what he's able to bring to the table from a Mountain West perspective. Like, so it's, it's interesting that he actually like had that tweet about Western Michigan today because like I don't know, I'm sure you've noticed like 80 percent of his shit is all about West Coast uh, related stuff. Right. So that like I think he's perfect for Mountain West. Yeah, I'm trying to think of there's just so many people out there that they they uh signif- like they kind of plant their seed on uh like a specific team but i don't know as much as like the entire conference can make you it don't need to uh, be a part of it because we can't that would be too much atlanta but if uh if we can procure the services of kyle francis right he does that <laughs> sec AC th- acc thread every week uh legendary sec acc thread so Bring him on for one of those conferences would be cool as well. I think um, SEC, I know he said he will SEC. never listen to us, but that doesn't mean he can't be a part of the show. He doesn't have to. We don't listen to our own stuff. Why would he doesn't have no, to? It's, it's uncanny. It's like uncanny Valley or right. Whatever that is. Um, it's this is the, the, the podcasters version of uncanny Valley. Um, if you will. Yeah. Maybe we'll uh, maybe you guys, the, the hundred listeners out there will give us some ideas of who wants to, to, discuss which i mean froton would be great to have back on and he could he could pull off the pack 12 for sure yeah yeah definitely so all righty everybody well hopefully you guys uh enjoyed this uh spontaneous episode uh we'll we'll, we're gonna try and kick it off each week and we'll make it happen for you guys but uh life happens as we all know so have a great weekend have a great week talk to you guys soon